Podcast, a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. Welcome back to the ACOP DO.FM Student Edition Podcast. This is Joe Lee, your National Student Executive Board President. Today, we're bringing you part two of All the Places You'll Go, where I had the opportunity to talk with three members of the ACOP Resident Council about applying to residency in this virtual environment. Enjoy! So we're going to go to the next section, uh, which is the ranking programs. Um, and Ian, I'll direct this question to you. Um, do you have any advice on, uh, I know you touched a, a little bit about uh, NRMP um, the, and the rank list uh, earlier. So um, what type of advice do you have for uh, students just sort of like um, determining that rank um, and um, figuring that out? Right. Like, Absolutely. For some Coming up with the rank list is an easy decision. For, for others, it, it's more challenging. Um, obviously, it's a very personal decision. Different things about programs are going to be important to different people. Um, so things to consider. Size. Do you want a program that has 10 to 12 uh, to 10 to 15 residents in each class? Um, or do you prefer to be in a smaller program that has maybe three to six residents in each class? Um, different folks, different strokes. Some people would prefer to be part of a larger program with more cohorts. Others would prefer to be in a smaller uh, program where you may have more direct interaction with attendings. You're not competing for patients in the same manner. Um, in that vein, uh, several family medicine programs are, are unopposed. What does unopposed mean? It means essentially that the family medicine residency is the only residency program at that institution. So there were programs that I interviewed at that were unopposed. The program that I ended up at is not unopposed. We have internal medicine, we have pediatrics, there's gen surge, orthopedic, derm, and now they're starting psychiatry, um, starting ophthalmology as well, and emergency medicine. So for example, for my pediatric rotations, um, we, we candidly might have to compete for, for time on the wards in, in the pediatric unit, whereas somebody in, the, in, the, uh, in an unopposed program might not. On the flip side, um, when I need to place a consult on a patient that has some very weird skin um, issue coming up, I can send a text message to one of my friends who's, who's a dermatology resident and um, get the consult in and essentially curbside and have a full interactive conversation with, with somebody who's my equal uh, about the patient. I think that's, for me, that's been wonderful for, for my education. Other things to consider, there is um, academic versus community. Um, a lot of programs are both. Um, I know Jordan, Athena, and myself are, the three of us are with residency programs that are wholly academically affiliated with medical schools. Um, some, some programs are more academic than other, but the, the inpatient um, training is done at a place that we might say university of, and you're under the guise of the university hospital system. Um, for me, the, my, my inpatient training is, is at a gigantic community hospital, but my outpatient training uh, is done actually on a medical school campus where med students are walking around. Um, all, my, all my preceptors, my attendings um, at, at my clinic and the outpatient are all med school faculty. So for me, I actually wanted to get both community medicine and academic medicine. So that, that's why I ended up ranking my program number one. Um, location, we, we discussed uh, a bit. 
basically, you may have different considerations. You may want to live close to home, close to family. Um, you may want to be in warm weather. You may not care about the weather. You may want to become what we call a full scope family physician. You want to, you want to be doing uh, cradle to grave care, delivering the babies, um, taking care of patients generationally, their families, all the way through the end of life. Um, some programs are better equipped at that than others. Though typically, not always, those tend to be the programs in, in the more uh, underserved rural um, settings. Um, that's something to consider. Other programs that are in more of the city settings like mine, we do, we train, we meet all AC and GME requirements in terms of seeing pediatric patients, number of deliveries, um, et cetera. But if I'm going to stay in South Florida, which is a major metropolitan area where I live now, I'm going to essentially be practicing adult and adolescent medicine. I might be more limited here than somebody who say practices in a rural town who can who will be the town doc. They will do everything for, for, for the population in a location like that. Something else to consider you wanna, when you're ranking programs is where do the graduates end up? Um, do they, if you have an interest in becoming a hospitalist, do they, does the program have a history of their graduates um, getting good hospital jobs after residency? Do they prepare graduates to, um, to work in, in private practice setting? Do they prepare graduates to take academic medicine jobs? Do they prepare graduates to go into full scope family medicine? Also, if you're interested in fellowship, it, it's important to know if graduates not only apply to fellowship, but do they match into fellowship? Um, my program, for example, we, we've only had one person apply and match into fellowship, I believe in the last four years. So most of the applicants who come to my program Fellowship's a consideration, but it's not a priority. Um, and, and, and really, I, I gave a laundry list, a laundry list of things. I'm sure Jordan and Athena may have some considerations as well, but th these are all things that can go into um, the calculations that, that you're putting together in your mind when it comes to ranking, um, ranking programs. Uh, basically, it's at the end of the day, you're gonna sit down. It might be a difficult decision. You're gonna have two programs and some, it sounds crazy, but I, I, I've spoken to one person who actually flipped a coin when it came to ranking one versus two, which is which is pretty unbelievable to me. Um, but you know, sit down, make a list, pros and cons. This program offers me this. This one offers me that. And um, one thing I can say at the end of the day, most people I know, especially in family medicine, my, my especially my med school classmates who are in FM all over the country, I would say almost all of them are very happy at the program they ended up at. Even if it wasn't their number one, it might've been their number four or their number five, they ended up being happy. I think that's that speaks volume to, to our profession and our specialty. Um, so keep all that in mind uh, when it comes to, uh, to ranking programs. If I can add just one thing to what Ian said. Um, one of the pieces of advice I have, not necessarily about deciding your rank list, but what you do once you've decided that is uh, I, I had a number of classmates that did things the right way and did things a little diff differently. Um, and what I mean by that is some of my classmates figured out this is my number one program and this is where I wanna be. And they told that program, you are my number one program and you are where I want to be. And I personally don't see a problem with letting your program know this is where I wanna be and why you want to be there. 
the issue kind of comes when you have applicants that decide they are going to tell their top three or top four programs, you are my number one program and you are where I want to be. And the reason that I say that is because one, I've seen classmates do it, but two, programs talk. And so, um, and not just programs and program directors, but residents. So I had a number of classmates that texted me and said, hey, you know, um, we can't wait for this fourth year to come out to our program. You know, they've told us that this is really where they wanna be. And it wasn't somebody applying to my program, but I had gotten the exact same text message from a former classmate at another program. And so I'm kind of the middleman, but you know, people communicate and things get kind of found out. So um, there's nothing wrong with telling your number one that it's where you wanna be, but do not lie to programs and tell multiple programs that you'll be ranking them number one because it will come around and bite you in the butt. Great. Um, uh, so the next section we're gonna talk about is uh, after the match process, right? Um, like you match, uh, what happens next? Um, so uh, Jordan, uh, what should uh, fourth year students sort of expect um, after they found out they, they match, successfully matched? So uh, in the immediate term, you match on Monday and then you have this really, really, really long week of trying to fit or in a sense, semi-panic, slash semi be excited about finding out where you match and that's on friday so in reality the real match day is friday um once all that is said and done a couple things first um finish out med school strong don't coast don't do anything stupid i have heard stories not firsthand but i've heard stories of residency offers being pulled for pretty significant transgressions. Um, I don't 100% know the particulars of how binding the contract is between you and the program via ACGME, but nevertheless, there are things that people can do to work against, uh, against them. Um, so finish off med school strong. And then for me personally, and I differ from, I would say a lot of people on this one point. So I'd say that a lot of people would say, uh, make sure to relax. And I agree with that. Definitely relax before residency because, you know, you're about to start a, a, another marathon um, and you should definitely be well rested for it. But if there are part pretty, like maybe not significant, but if there are weak points that you know, like I'm just not good at this, um, or even something as simple as like, eh, I could be better at my physical exam where I could be better at like uh, for getting a solid history and physical. Review those things. Um, review, you know, your time management skills, all the things that are kind of going to get you on a solid footing starting residency. Um, I did that for the month or two in between resident medical school and residency. And I think it benefited me in the long term because I was able to kind of get get on uh, the ground running rather than try to stumble and figure that out. With that said, though, um, some people might benefit from that. Some people might benefit from just taking a long break, going on vacation. I mean, four years of medical school is rough enough. Um, so definitely balance taking uh, you know taking care of yourself. But then, if there are things you want to review. Just because somebody says, no, you shouldn't review doesn't mean, you know, that's what works well for you. It's really what works best for you um, and, and what you feel will be the best thing to do prior to residency.
Awesome. Uh, thank you for that. Um, so uh, my next question is pretty much um, in the event uh, that uh, someone does not successfully match, um, Ian, do you have any sort of advice uh, in terms of moving forward or how to deal with that? Sure. So first and foremost, it's not the end of the world. It's speaking to friends who've gone through it. It feels like it's the end of the world. Take, take a moment. Take, take a breather, um, take stock of things, and, and then time to, to get back up on the horse and, and start moving. You, things will work out. Um, so th there's, a, there's a bunch of different things um, th that you can do in the event that you don't match through the regular NRMP match or through the SOAP, um, which we discussed earlier. So first off, there's still... I have a friend who ended up finding a program this way. Even after the SOAP is completed, there's still maybe programs that have openings. So talk to your medical school, um, gain access to those lists and those, and those databases to see who, who has openings. Um, I, I have a friend who was, a, she was able to get into a TY year um, through that uh, quite late in the game. So don't give up. Um, in the event things, you don't find a program, however, plenty of things you can do. You can get involved with research. Um, if you know individuals who are involved with research, whether they're residents, whether it's somebody in your medical school, one of the uh, one of your professors from your preclinical studies, they may not be a DO, uh, but they may have a PhD and they're actively involved in research. Get, get involved with that. Um, some people choose to pursue second degrees um, in addition to in addition to the DO. They, there are people who, who can go. You can go for your MPH. Um, it may take a little more time, but you can get started on getting an MBA. Um, if you want to be really crazy, uh, you can get a JD. Um, there's also plenty of master's degrees um, as well out there. Basically, you're showing you're showing uh, that you're a well-rounded individual, and you're seeking interests and broadening your your, your knowledge outside of medicine. Uh, stuff like that can really strengthen an application. Not to mention make you a, a very interesting job um, applicant when it comes to finishing residency. Um, other individuals I know, they, they described. Um, and, and then there's the application itself. So you can, if you, have read, if you have friends who are in residency, you can talk to, have them look over what you wrote in your personal statement. Have them, um, if, 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 they, if you're able to see it, or maybe you can talk to the individuals who, because you're not necessarily entitled to see your letters of recommendation. Maybe talk to your letter writers and try to get some candid feedback. Um, see if there's any way you can rebuild your application. You, you, have, you have time to get this done, but you don't wanna sit around and let time pass. Um, I can tell you that there have been applicants to my program who maybe a year or two actually removed from medical school and they don't have a whole lot to show from what they did between graduation to when they were reapplying to residency. And it makes you wonder um, what was going on during that time. Now, of course, there may be an explanation for something happening in the personal way, but in the absence of that, um, it, it makes the person a less attractive candidate. So for me, I love comeback stories. Um, so I, I love seeing someone who things didn't work out for, but they showed the resilience. Um, made adjustments and, and really pursued what, what their lifelong dream was. Because to me, that speaks to a person's character. Um, somebody who shows that kind of grit and determination. 
to me, they're going to be a great co-resident. And even more importantly, they're going to be a fantastic physician. They're going to be really caring for their patients. They're going to better empathize with their patients' struggles and strife. So where, where something may seem like a, the ground has fallen, from, fallen out from underneath you, look at it as an opportunity to, um, to, to triumph um, and, and don't fret. Um, but definitely be proactive, uh, reach out to people and know that you're not the only person who didn't match. There's, there's plenty of other people who didn't match before you and they matched in a residency and they became very successful physicians. So do not give up, keep a positive outlook and um, stay active in the, uh, in the process. Great, thank you for that. Um, our next section is uh, COVID and, and um, you know, in light of COVID and just talking about work-life balance. Um, Jordan, I'm gonna direct the first question to you. Like how, how did um, COVID uh, sort of uh, affect your C training? And, and feel free to jump in um, if, if anyone else have any thoughts. So COVID, kind of two sides to the story. So one, on the benefits side of sort of COVID residency training, um, far more critical care. Uh, I think I'm a lot more comfortable uh, managing ICU patients than I probably would have been um, if this was, let's just say, 2016. You know, years removed from from COVID. Um, but then on the other side, some of the things that COVID has taken away, um, a lot of the CME opportunities, um, both outside of the residency and then also in the residency. Uh, for a while, we weren't able to meet for didactics in person. Everything was virtual. And, uh, th that's good and all, but sometimes you need in-person training. Uh, I know for years prior, um, we had uh, Nexplanon training. Um, that unfortunately has been postponed until such a date where Merrick thinks it's a little more safe to, to go out uh, to, to other programs. Um, and then on a personal note, just the tediousness of having to don and doff uh, peppers and all sorts of PPE and using the uh, Sandy wipes, wipe yourself off. Um, it's just time that it takes away from your day. And then also time it takes away from certain patients. Like, uh, you know, there have been situations with cardiac arrests where we're trying to get everything on for a COVID patient as much as we can. Um, and obviously those are vital seconds. Um, so there have been some good benefit from it in terms of, you know, the level of, of critical care comfort. And then of course there have been the personal struggles, the stresses of it. Um, so I, I think it's a mixed bag. We're in the middle of it still, um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to really looking back in retrospect and seeing you know, how this really affected residency once we're a little removed from it. Awesome, thank you for that. Um, so Athena, I think the, the next question is basically, um, how do you recommend dealing with, um, you know, burnout? Um, you know, uh, I know you touched on, uh, you know, how important support program is, is really important uh, to you. So like, what are some key things to look for um, that support in a program? 
Yeah, so two seconds, I'm going to add to what Jordan said. Um, the other thing that COVID has kind of done is made, at least me personally, way better at history taking um, and doing a good physical exam your first time around, because unlike in medical school where you can just run back in the room and say, hey, wait a second, what did you say your pain level was? Or, oh, I forgot to listen to your heart and lung sounds. If you don't do it, you got to get all gowned back up. So I think that's something that um, was an unexpected benefit to my education that came from COVID. As far as burnout goes, um, I think making sure that you, you decide what your balance is going to be between work and home. And what I mean by that is um, we have like an intern resident clinic day and all three of us manage how we get all of our charting done completely differently based on what works for us and keeps us sane and prevents burnout. And what I mean by that is one of our interns um, sees all of his patients and he charts as much as he can during the day. He puts in orders as he sees patients, but he's just slower at writing his actual notes. And so at the end of the day, um, we all get done around four o'clock, 4.15, and he's there until 5.30 or six o'clock some nights, but he finishes all his notes and he goes home and he doesn't do work at home. I chart while I'm in the room with my patients. And so I try to keep up to, to um, schedule with getting all of my notes and everything completed by the end of the day. But on the off chance that I don't have all my notes done by 4.15, I bring them home and they're the very first thing that I do when I get home on my couch. And then as soon as my notes are done, I'm done with work. I don't take it home with me. And then the third intern that's on my clinic day, um, she says, I'm not gonna do any additional work at work if I don't have to be there. So she takes all of her notes home and completes them at home with her baby and that works really well for her. So acknowledging kind of what your schedule is gonna be like and what you're most comfortable doing, but will still allow you to stay on top of your work is really important. Um, going home to finish your notes is not helpful for you or for your program or for your status as a resident in your program if you never actually do the notes. The other thing that I would recommend is um, getting to be really close with your co-residents. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason that I say that is they're the only ones that are going to understand exactly what you're going through and what you're in. Um, not even your former classmates that are going through family medicine in another program will understand exactly what you're going through. And so one of the things that we've done at our program is um, we implemented our it's it's a monthly um, family family dinner for our interns, and so we do intern family dinner once a month. Um, we all kind of decide where we want to go for the month, and uh, the four of us will meet typically after work at five thirty, um, typically on our clinic day, and then spouses are welcome. Um, one of my co co interns has a one year old baby, so she brings her baby sometimes. And it's just an opportunity for us to either complain about work if we need to um, or talk about really cool things that we're doing and just make sure that we can check in on each other and also check in on each other's spouses because um, some of our interns are from out of state and their spouses haven't really had an opportunity to make friends outside of the residency um, just because of all the COVID stuff and quarantine that's been going on. So it's been really healthy for us to prevent burnout, at least at my program. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, I know you, you know, you touch on family. So let's uh, continue with that. And, and um, uh, Jordan, do you do you have any recommendations on, um, you know, how, uh, you know, uh, how people who have a family or looking to start a family? Um, is there anything specific that uh, you should be looking for in a program to be like supportive for you? Um, so anything, uh, I guess anyone can uh, recommend? 
So my program has a good number of people with a sort of extended family units. Some, you know, just husband and wife, others have children, others have multiple children. Uh, we had a resident who just finished this, this year um, who had two kids in residency. Um, so it's definitely doable. It depends on where you go and obviously what type of residency you're in. So since this is a family uh, medicine geared uh, talk, from everyone I've talked to, um, previous or uh, place uh, residents at other programs that I've interviewed at, some of my uh, medical school colleagues, um, they've had an easier time than some of the other subspecialties. So I would say the biggest thing is just to ask, um, you know, how many people in your program have families? What, um, you know, how do they balance everything? And then if you have opportunities to talk to those residents, like ask, just ask, you know, honest questions. I mean, at least everyone in my program, we're more than happy to answer basically everything that you have to ask. Um, but, uh, and then just asking questions about, you know, how does time off work? You know, how much paid time off do you get? When can you take it? That kind of thing. Um, and with that, just having these questions kind of formulated ahead of time, doing a little multi-year planning. You know, if you're expecting to, A, if you're pregnant now and you're planning to have a kid at, let's just say next September, planning ahead, or, you know, if you want to get married next year, plan ahead of that. Um, so just kind of talk to yourself, talk with your spouse, talk with your family about what you want to do over the next couple of years, and then bring all those questions up. I will say it's not necessarily always perfect. Residency is demanding nine times, well, let's just say eight times out of 10, it comes first. Um, so there will be naturally some sacrifices, but in my personal experience at my pro program, um, I have, haven't had to have too many of those trade-offs. I've been able to kind of live the life I want to live, but also pour my effort into residency. So kind of be prepared uh, on the interview trail to ask all the questions about things that are important to your life. Um, and then uh, just have the realization that sometimes it just doesn't work out, but a large amount of it will. All right, thank you. So, um, all right. So that's uh, my last question I have. Um, uh, do any of you have um, any last minute pours or wisdom that you want to share with the student body um, and incoming residents? Uh, uh, I think uh, that will be uh, greatly appreciated. Yeah, so to all of you, no matter what year you are, M1 through M4, um, medical school can be tough. Um, residency can be tough. But try, try to remember when, when you're in those really down times, try to remember why you want to become a physician. Um, I, I can just speak about my own personal experience, and I'm sure, Joe, you would agree to some extent as a med student, Jordan and Athena as 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 residents, med medicine is is such an amazing thing. We're we're given such a unique gift uh, to be able to heal others. Um, 
I, I can tell you this residency, for those of you who are maybe having really stressed out in, in, in medical school, residency is a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, but it is a lot of fun to, to be able to take a patient who's seeing you for the first time, who's got wildly uncontrolled diabetes, um, who has multiple hospital admissions, and, and, and who, who has a, a difficult at-home life, and to be able to restore that patient to, to, to a better of quality life. There, there, there's no greater satisfaction, I think, that one can have in their professional life than that. Than that. Um, it, it, it's, it's a tremendous privilege. Don't lose sight of that. Um, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's one of the age-old expressions. I, I promise you, you will reach that light um, and, and you will uh, become residents, physicians, um, attending physicians, um, and just uh, do your best to, to enjoy the journey um, because, because it's, it's a wild ride, but it's, but it's a fantastic ride. I'd kind of add to what Ian said. Um, life doesn't end with residency and being a resident doesn't mean that your passions and things that you love outside of medicine have to go away. Um, for me, that's gardening and spending time with my dogs that keep making cameos as I chat. Um, so make sure that you make time for those things um, and, and don't feel guilty about making time for those things either because that's part of wellness and that's part of being a good resident as well. Um, just as a little plug for the three of us that are on here, if leadership is your outlet um, for the incoming interns and then for those of you that are med students that will be residents fairly soon, uh, if, if you'd like to join resident council, we'd love to have you and we'd love to see you get involved as well. And then I just want to kind of echo that I 100% agree with what uh, both Athena and Ian said. Um, in medical school, we always hear, oh yeah, third year is better than second year, fourth year is better than third year. Residency is, is better than all of that. Uh, it's a lot of work, it's a lot of hours, but they go by really quickly. They're a lot of fun. Getting paid is a lot of fun. Um, and it's just, yeah, 100% enjoy the process because it'll be you know, gone just like that. And then you'll be thinking back, oh, I, I really missed that. Um, so enjoy every day, uh, you know, rise up to every challenge. Um, that That's really what all this is about. I, I love the whole, uh, it gets better, it gets better. <laughs> you hear that a lot. Uh, well, you know, thank you to all three of you for your time tonight. You know, as a student myself, I found everything we talked about super helpful. Um, really appreciate all the, uh, the wisdom and the information. Um, so uh, this will conclude our event tonight. So on behalf of uh, ACOFP National Student Executive Board, uh, I hope everyone have enjoyed our uh, tonight's uh, sessions. So uh, thank you and have a, have a good night. Thank you for listening to the second and final part of All the Places You'll Go. Hopefully you find the information as helpful as I did. Check back for future episodes of the ACOFP DO.FM Student Edition Podcast. The ACOFP Student Podcast is a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. To learn more about ACOFP, please visit www.acofp.org. Looking for more resources on OMT? Visit ACOFP's OM Teaching at www.acofpomteaching.com and ask your institution if they subscribe so you can have access to over 150 OMT videos and support materials.